welcome to season two of the Sober Experiment podcast with Alex and Lisa. Our podcast is for anyone and everyone, whether you're still drinking, thinking about ditching the booze, or you've already quit alcohol for good. Our podcast is raw and still unedited to this day. Join us and our guests for tears, emotion, and some hilarious laugh out loud moments. Season two is sponsored by Lunar Holistics. Lunar Holistics offers a wide range of professional home study courses, including counselling, life coaching, and NLP. They also offer courses in beauty therapy and for the most spiritual minded of you, they've got courses in tarot, palmistry, astrology and psychic development. So if you've been considering a new career or you want to learn just for fun, no matter where you are in the world, Lunar Holistics will enable you to gain a fully recognised, accredited and insurable qualification and no previous academic qualifications are required. Lunar courses are easy to follow and you can study from home at any time that suits you. We're really excited that Luna has offered to sponsor this season as everything that they do aligns perfectly with our core values. I'm Alex, one half of the Sober Experiment. And I'm Lisa, the other half. Hi Lisa, how are you? I'm all right, thanks for you. Yeah, yeah, I'm not bad. I'm just really relieved that Jesse Mogul from Sobriety to Recovery agreed to redo this podcast, aren't you? What a diamond. <laughs> It literally is because I deleted over it. I know I've already said this, but I deleted over it with an intro. And actually, I'm dead glad I did. And I keep saying this, and you will hear a bit of a laugh about this in the podcast. But I am honestly glad that I deleted over it because I think speaking to him a second time, well, actually a third time, was it, Lisa? (laughs) Yeah, it was a third time. Speaking to him a third time, it was just so much more natural. And we got quite a lot from the conversation. I think you'll really enjoy it. I'm still devastated. <laughs> <laughs> That's only because I took up even more of a time. Did it on purpose, really, so I could spend more time with Investy. That's what it was. Oh, you know what, though? We always enjoy speaking to each other. And to meet somebody like Jesse, I think I just love what Sober has done for us. Like the connections we're making. And Jesse says this during the podcast, but like to be meeting the same people as other people from all around the world is just fascinating. I feel so lucky and privileged that we get to do this. Like when we set off this podcast and I was absolutely shitting myself. (laughs) Like, oh my God, oh my God, people are going to hear us. And now we get to talk to the most amazing people. and, And that's through being sober. It's just the best thing ever. It really is. We hope you enjoy it as much as we did. Oh, hi, Jesse. Thank you so much for coming back on again. It's been awesome. I'm so glad to be here again. I love me some Alex and Lisa time. (laughs) (laughs) So as I explained to you and I explained to our guest last week, you were supposed to be out in episode two and we've had to move you to episode three because you're guilty. Recorded over you. So it's okay. I think you really just unconsciously wanted me back to have more conversations. And this is what, uh, this is beautiful. That's what I think it is. We just wanted to get to talk to you again. (laughs) Genuinely. I mean, I know that that is a little bit of like, you know, something to, but honestly, we, we did want an excuse to speak to you again. We didn't expect it to be quite this soon. um, We're glad it is. We're glad it is. And you were talking to, you said you were talking to Adrian. Yes. Yeah. So I, uh, we, we did a show. We did, we both were on each other's shows. The addictive pod is his and, uh, yeah, super pumped. I mean, he was, he was great. I love talking to you. Know, I just, you know, I, he lives in Toronto. Y'all live in England. Like it just bringing this connection, this joining this web of all of us together. I just think it's a, it's, it's just what this whole community was built upon. Oh, we loved it. when After we'd done a podcast with him, he actually put um, little quotes from things we'd said onto his Instagram and it was so nice and different, wasn't it, Lisa? Yeah, it was really lovely. I was like, oh, that's a nice quote. Oh my God, I said it. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh, I might have to step up my game. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) No, you do just right, Jesse. I'm a little bit anxious today and I don't even know why. I think it's because... I loved our chat last time so much. Like when we came off the podcast, we were like so excited, weren't we, Alex? Because it was oh, the first yeah. one that we'd recorded in months. And then we came away and we were like, that was amazing. And I'm really scared now. 
because I can't remember everything we spoke about. But no, I we were like, good. we were both like buzzing to get going again. And we were like, come on, let's get the episode out. I want that to be one of the first. Let's do it. Yeah. And then see ya. Well, you know, I think that we'll be able to recreate a majority of it because, um, yeah, well, I saw the questions you sent over and, 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 and I just think it, maybe this time we'll even go it more in depth. We'll touch upon even cooler stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the reasons why I just got done shooting episode 78 was just so I'd be thoroughly warmed up for y'all. So I wouldn't just be jumping on the mic cold. So uh, yeah, I just got done telling my audience about limiting decisions and limiting beliefs for the last 40 minutes. Uh, I could have I talked about that for three hours. I, I have to be really mindful not to be too long-winded with y'all today now. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've got plenty of time. Don't worry. It's, it's kind of um, mid-evening here now, isn't it, Lisa? So we're um, Lisa's poor Lisa's absolutely shot at today. She feels really tired. She did a massive walk with Be Sober yesterday, which is our social group, and it was a massive walk, and it's really taken it out of you, hasn't it? It has. It was like a five-hour walk, which I'm normally all right with, but I've got sciatica. So not all, I feel 95 today. All my knees are shot at because it was... All of them? Both, all my knees. All, all of them. them. I've got so all many knees that are shot at right now. It's ridiculous. You, what, y'all did, what y'all didn't realize is that she's an octopus with knees. So that's what <laughs> Lisa today. She's got more than two legs, which is super awesome. Um, I wish I had more than two knees, although not if I all hurt at the same time. No, you don't want to hurt <laughs> at the same And especially time. not if you've got sciatica in them all. Yeah. I know. For oh, those that are, not, that are not watching, I promise you, I'm not 99. Or an, <laughs> or an octopus, yeah. Right. Come on, let's get on to Jesse. So... Let's have a little bit of background, Jesse. Tell us how long you've been sober for and tell us what brought you to the point of going sober. Uh, beautiful. Actually, this, this ties in really well with Lisa's knee issues because that <laughs> will go back to that. So three and a half years-ish. Yeah, in fact, uh, August 13th. Uh, oh my goodness, August 13th just passed, didn't it? Yes, it did. It did. Oh my goodness. Okay. So yes. So what's, here's, what's crazy is that August 13th was the day that I was skydiving um, or yeah, it was the day I was skydiving and I landed incorrectly. Uh, I put my left leg out in order to catch myself. I, I had done the, the landing wrong. It was my fourth jump of the weekend to get my skydiving license. And when I landed incorrectly, I, com- I, I made these micro fractures in the left, in, uh, in the left knee and the tibula and the fibula. And uh, about a week or so later, I was playing flag football and I landed incorrectly on that knee and hyperextended it backwards and toward the meniscus and the LCL. And so the knee was done. And what ended up happening was that I went to the doctor and he's like, yeah, you're, 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 you're screwed. You can't get up for the next like three months, go home and lay in bed and just let the knee heal. Well, I went to the grocery store to get some food and I happened to buy a couple bottles of vodka and a 12 pack of beer and some bottles of wine. And I thought, well, this should last me a month. Three days later, it was all gone. And I've always been, I've, I mean, I've been an addict since I was 18. And so I'm not surprised that once I was told I didn't have to leave my house for three months. And I basically was the first time since I'd gotten a job at 14 that I'd ever not had a responsibility. Uh, all of a sudden I had like three months where I could just do whatever I wanted. Nobody expected anything from me. And I started to drink, I mean, just to black out every single day. I couldn't stop. And the only way I'd stop was when my body rejected alcohol. And so I detoxed myself for like five or six days. I had it down to a science. And as soon as I detoxed, myself out of it, boom, right back into it. And uh, did that all the way till November, sort of kind of held it together at work for the next few months, but couldn't really hold it together. And then January 13th, 2017 is whenever I finally made that call and said, I can't do this anymore. I'd gained, oh gosh, I, I'd gone from 173. Uh, I weighed the day of the knee injury, I think I weighed right around 173 to 176. By the time I quit drinking alcohol, I was 233. Uh, my skin was yellow. My teeth were not good. Uh, my, my nose bleeds and, and, and peeing the bed blacked out and falling asleep in the bathtub and on the bedroom floor. It looked like a frat party in my room at all times. Pizza boxes stacked up in the corner, 60 bottles of wine scattered around my room. It was just a disaster. And that was... I. I I once thought that blowing out my knee was the worst day of my life. It turned out to be 
the best day of my life. It was the saving grace that changed everything. Had I not blown out my knee, I don't think I would have dove so hard into drinking that I would have ever have stopped. And I probably would have just choked on my own vomit while I slept one day. Wow. That's some graphic shit, right? Sorry. I didn't keep <laughs> no, that's sorry, graphic. I don't it's way. That's nothing compared to what we've been heard to say. Do you feel, do you feel ridiculous now when you saw knees, Lisa? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like I'm just going to shut up now with my octopus knees. <laughs> Jesse, you know when you were drinking, what, was it something that you did on your own then? Was that, did you have people that came round to get drunk with you? Like, or did you just sit on your own? The transition from party animal at 18 and all the way up to, I stayed in college for 12 years because the best place for an addict to hide out is in college because everybody abuses alcohol and drugs there for the most part, right? You can find a huge swath of people who think drinking every single night's a good idea. So in college for those 12 years, I absolutely was a party animal. I was always drinking around somebody because it was easy to find people to do that. When I graduated college, uh, went overseas, the drinking got me fired from that job basically and then I moved out here to Los Angeles and there was no one wanted to, to partake the way I did and then I would black out in Hollywood or I'd black out downtown in LA and, and, and it would come to in the worst possible situations so then I started just I said you know what if you're going to hardcore drink you're going to stay at home so that transition of drinking with a bunch of people to isolated drinking. It was slow, but definitely once I moved to LA from 35 to 40, I would just get bombed out of my mind at home by myself with no one around. And I think it, took, it went to a whole nother level then, right? Because then there's no one to even remotely say, dude, you just drank four bottles of wine in an hour. Maybe you should slow down. Then it was isolated. So then I was like, basically I was in a sprint to the blackout and I was the only one in the race. Oh gosh. Yeah, it's it's quite common though, isn't it? I, I think I've just realized the significance of the title from sobriety to recovery, because they're not the same thing, are they? Exactly. And it was my therapist who first brought this into my discovery. She's like, you know, sobriety is, is you step into sobriety. It's those first, it's when you're white knuckling it, you're counting the days, you're counting the meetings. You're, it's, it's all about counting. It's like, just make it through today. It's about survival. When you get into addiction recovery is when you get into that thrival mode. That's when you're like, you're no longer worried about going back. You've, you've moved past that, right? And now you're thinking, what am I going to do today? That's going to make my, my sobriety and recovery even better. Like I have this saying, and it, it can come off either way, depending on your perspective, that great, you're sober. Now what? Now, now what are you going to do? Yeah. Because if you just come home from work every day and sit on your couch watching The Simpsons and eating donuts, then where is your life any better? If you want your life better, you've got to say no. Whatever I did in the past, is I'm not just going to stop drinking. I'm going to change my entire life. I'm going to pick up a new hobby. I'm going to spend time with my kids. I'm going to show love and affection to my partner. Whatever that is, you've got to amp it up because if you stay stagnant everywhere else in your life except to the drinking or the using, then at some point you're going to look around and be like, well, this didn't get any better. Where's the beautiful yeah. life? F this. And next thing you know, you got a straw in your hand and you're knocking down an eight ball. Do you know what, though? I think if you told somebody that on the first day of sobriety, they'd be like, I'm not going to do sobriety because it's a really haunting, scary thing, isn't it, to overhaul your entire life? Yes. And it's. I think that's where the one day at a time, which by all means, I still practice. I don't future pace out four years and think, well, what's my sobriety going to be like on February 2nd of 2072? <laughs> I, you know, there's no reason to do that, right? Like, you know, you want to be thinking about where your life is heading, but you don't need to be thinking about it in terms of, will I be able to handle everything that comes my way and still be sober? We're, we're going beyond that. But yes, those first few days, my, you know, all this stuff that I'm talking about, it could be a lot for somebody mm -hmm. just walking into that addiction recovery center to take. They're like, just please, I don't want to use today. And that's great because the stuff I talk about on my show is good for those people just as much as it's good for two, four, six, eight years down the line. Um, we're looking for, you know, I, I want to plant seeds, ladies. It's like, yes. I, I just, just want to plant a seed that there's a better life out there. If, if I'm too much for you to handle on day one, I totally get it. I am a lot. <laughs> I am a big ball of energy. Like y'all, you're a awesome balls of energy. So I can see where some people are like, okay, whoa, with that. Um, but yeah, yeah, I agree that day one, you're just like, please, I just would like to sleep well and not do drugs today. 
Yeah, yeah, just let me get through the day. So go on, Lisa. It's really hard, isn't it? Because <laughs> when people do want to get sober and you're already sober and you've already felt these amazing benefits and you're loving it and your life has had this big overhaul and you've been through shit, but you've got through it and we're feeling dead good about it, it's really hard to try and talk to somebody on that first day because you kind of want to... You want to give them all that information. You want to say, but it's going to be amazing and you're going to do this and you're going to do this and read this and do that. What yeah. helped you in them early days? Well, in a way, I feel extremely lucky. The way, and this is going to sound whack when I say it, that I, was, I felt lucky for the pain I'd put my body into. But when I quit, like that Thursday, that January 12th, I couldn't even hold water in my stomach anymore. I was laying in my bed or sitting on the edge of it. And I had put a, a garbage can right there in between my legs. And anytime I drank water, about a minute or two later, it came right up. I, and I, I mean, I had bourbon, I had beer and I had wine. And I just kept trying to force myself anything just, I was like, please, just something stay in my stomach. That detox, and it took about a month for my body to, I mean, for the shakes, the shivers, the sweats to stop. I, I barely could hold food down four days later. I literally had to, I barely could hold water down for the next four days. So really those beginning stages for me, I was blessed in as much as my body just could not hold anything in it. So I had no choice but to stay off the alcohol or booze. So by the time my body actually got right again, about a month later when I could have started to drink, I already had a month in. And by that point, I, I even kept alcohol in my room that first month to be like, dude, are you serious about this? Because if you're not, there's your temptation. But if you're serious about this and you know this is the way you want to go because you've been asking yourself to do this for the last 10 years, just let's come on, man. Let's just what let's do this today and each day became another and before you knew it i had a month i gave all my booze to my roommate and it was just like i, I felt like this weight had been taken off of me I, I can't begin to express just it's like if the world was on your back and you set it down and all of a sudden you could just sprint up that mountain and you're like wow i, I didn't know i could do this uh, let's let's see how far i can run Mm. See, I think that's going to fill people with so much hope because, you know, we've got we've got so many different people um, tuning into us. People who are nearly starting out, people who are well on the way, people who have done quite a large stint and are now fantasizing about the good old days with alcohol. It's so easy. Your mind's like, it's it's a big kind of tricker, isn't it, your mind? All of a sudden, and everybody gets this, I believe, you do so long without anything and you go... Hmm, what if I could have one? And you don't just say, what if I could have one drink? It, you kind of glamorize it. What if I could have one cold glass of wine? You know, you yeah. really make something of it, don't you? Following the language, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it languages. I talk about that so much in my show because, you know, right, that one is one is too many and a thousand never enough. One of the things I talk about on my show all the time is that play it to the credits. So when you're in your when you're in your house and, so, and and you're envisioning just having one, you see yourself just sipping it, enjoying it, or you're at the or you're at the pub and you're having such a great time. Everyone's laughing around you and they're so glad to see you back. But what you're doing is you're romanticizing that moment, that yeah. that little picture in time. What you're not seeing is the next day you wake up with the guilt that you've reset your clock, or you wake up with the guilt of the behavior you showed everybody because you didn't just stay on one. Now you did you did ten or you wake up thinking, okay, I got this. And then three months from now, that's when the blackout comes. That's when you wake up in the alleyway with no shoes, no cell phone and no car keys, right? That's it's people, they romanticize that one little moment in time instead of playing it to the credits and seeing how is this really going to play out? Because we already know this movie. We've seen it. We lived yeah. it for years. We know exactly how it's going to play out. Why do we think it's going to be any different this time? We say it, don't we, all the time, Lisa? We say there's no way either of us could moderate because if we could, we would already be doing it. <laughs> yeah. People are like, why didn't you try moderation? And I'm just like, seriously, right now? You think in 22 years I didn't try to moderate? You think I didn't try to come up? I mean, you didn't think that I didn't. I mean, at one point I had rubber bands I'd wrap around my wrist. And each time I had a drink, I'd take a rubber band off. And then when there was no more rubber bands, I was supposed to stop. But that lasted for about three weeks. And next thing you know, all three of those rubber bands were Jaeger shots. And now, uh, well, I put the rubber bands back on and look down and be like, look, I still got three drinks left. It became this joke amongst my friends 
that no matter how many drinks I had, the rubber bands would just magically reappear. You know, I was on um, Facebook this morning and it was a health and wellness page that I was on and there was a lady on there and they were all getting up early in the morning and she was saying I don't know what I'm going to do I'm on day 18 I am loving this getting up early. and it wasn't about sobriety this page she was just like I'm loving getting up early but I'm going out with my friends um in a few months camping camping and I don't want to drink and people was like trying to find ways that she could drink but still feel wonderful right and I'm reading it like what are they doing? And they're like, oh my God, the best thing for a hangover is still get up at five o'clock, but go for a really long run. And I'm like, why are they trying to do this? And then another woman was like, said on it, right, what you need to do, instead of having one or two bottles, just have two glasses. And I'm reading it like, no shit, that's a good idea. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. I, I had to... Did you come in? Yeah, of course. And that's on a and that's on a health and wellness site. That's a that's a health and wellness page dedicated to good stuff. It's so true. What did did nobody actually put the best thing for a hangover is not to get pissed? Somebody somebody did actually, but there was a few, and they were finding ways to try and fit drink into there. But they were feeling so good, and it was really frustrating. But I agree, you know, I used to work as a, a slimming consultant and I worked with lots of health and wellness people. And I used to actually help people try and fit in a certain amount of alcohol into their sins, as we'd call them, you know, like the weekly sins. And I'd be like, right, try vodka, try gin, because it's less than my... I did that. And you know what? Uh-huh. That is just, that's a disservice. That's wrong. And I realised but at the time I never realised it, but it is, it's culture, it is. It's just yes. the way that it's so ingrained into us, isn't it? That it's like marketed in that way, that it is normal. It's normal to drink, it's normal to fantasise about drink, it's normal to have a hangover and crawl around. What what other substance, apart from, I'm talking, what other legal substance here, do we intentionally poison ourselves with? Intentionally. We know sugar. because yeah, we say, sugar. what's your poison? Sugar, yeah. yeah. Sugar's the sugar. only other. Yeah. yeah. Sh- sh- you know, I mean, tobacco is somewhere on that list because a lot of cultures still use it. But I would, you know, alcohol, sugar, tobacco, those are like the big three. Uh, yeah. You know, oh. I've, you know, now for some reason, I think I read a meme somewhere that talked about how much alcohol is, is really shown off in TV and movies. And so I've become very aware of it over the last couple months. And I was watching Failure to Launch, a movie last night. And every single time they got anywhere, alcohol, champagne, vodka, it was all getting poured. Um, I happened to come across Sex in the City Part 2, the movie, and everyone's drinking in that. The Good Place. I mean, these are shows that are popular in America. So maybe not so much there. Yeah, in England, no, I, I watch these. <laughs> Okay, we watched, perfect, we watched right. Sex in the City Part 2 on a spa weekend getting drunk. Do you remember? Yeah, we did, actually. Yeah, we did. <laughs> right? A like spa weekend. <laughs> yeah, but a health and wellness weekend. You're going to the spa and you're watching that. You're drinking champagne there. You know, good place. I loved it with Ted Dance and Kristen Bell. I thought it was awesome. Just I cool loved stuff they it. Talk. She's constantly wanting margaritas and it's like, she, you know, she's sad. She wants a margarita. She's happy. She wants a margarita. She's stressed, wants a margarita. She's relaxing. She wants a margarita. Yeah. How can a margarita help you when you're happy, sad, relaxed, and stressed? One thing doesn't have that kind of magical power, right? It's, it's, it's this programming that somehow society has gotten on board with and it's getting pumped to us. Like, well, what are these characters going to do in the scene right now? Well, I guess they could crack open a beer and then have a heart to heart. Well, how about they just crack open a bottle of water and have the heart to heart? But four-year-olds and 12-year-olds and even 44-year-olds, we see this and we think, wow, you know, I'm never going to be able to have a heart to heart with my dad because we can't crack open an ice cold beer on the lake and, and do that. That's total BS. And it's yeah. horrible that it's happening. It's, this, it's exactly the same with like, you know, drinking to have a good time. there's there's no uh, certainly early on people don't believe they will ever laugh again and actually the opposite is true I have laughed more since getting sober than ever in my life post childhood ever I swear to god I have to like (laughs) you you help Alex right but like (laughs) 
I, I gen- that was a genuine fear of mine. I genuinely was feared that I would not be happy and I would not like belly laugh. And, and for a good few months I didn't, but that's because all my mates were so pissed and I were the only one sober. So then like when everyone started to get booked, like me and you laughed, don't we, from the pits of our stomach laughing. It's ridiculous laughing. It's actually ridiculous. Like it hurts to laugh sometimes and it feels Mm -hmm. so much more real. And it's simply because, well, first of all, I think you're funnier sober. And (laughs) second of all, it's not being numbed out with a depressant. And and that's what it boils down. Yes. You know what I wanted to talk about, Jesse, it's just come to me that we did touch on when we last spoke is I used to suffer really bad from, um, anxiety so the morning after but what I realized is that I had social anxiety so even now like when Alex just said I went to a, a be sober meetup yesterday and I knew there were new people coming so I I get anxious I get anxious about meeting new people and if they're going to be all right so I realized that from a very young age that I was drinking to kind of get over the social anxiety and to fit in now, we had a conversation, didn't we, last time? And I'd mm-hmm. love to go over that again, if um, if that's all right with you, about how you felt at school and how you found drinking to fit in. You know, the, it, I love that you see that in yourself. And I think a lot of people actually have dealt with that, that social uh, need to be accepted, that tribal acceptance at a young age. And I I look back at my high school years and I was pretty much a wallflower, bullied here and there a little bit. And it just, I, w- I didn't have the best uh, time in school. And then my senior year, I got invited to be a member of the Glee Club, which is like a singing and dancing group with men and women. And then I got into theater and I found all these people and they loved having me around. I was very, and we didn't drink. It was just a very social butterfly uh, kind of situation. All of a sudden I realized, oh wow, all this quote unquote shyness I felt my whole life, this anxiety, it was just because I hadn't found my tribe. Look at this tribe I found. So I made that decision after high school and how uncomfortable I felt that when I got to college, I was going to be a social butterfly. I was going to have all the friends. I was going to go to the parties. I wanted to make sure that I was quote unquote popular and cool. So as soon as I got into college, you know, it didn't take too long to realize if you have, if you're at the party and you're drinking tons of beer and doing the beer bongs, everyone thinks you're hilarious. And then you get drunk enough and now you're making all the noise and everybody's watching you and the pretty girls want to talk to you. And before you know it, you realize, oh wow, if I show up with the drugs and alcohol, I'm even more popular. And it just starts to become this self-fulfilling prophecy where eventually you get it stuck in your head, this limiting belief and decision that if I'm not the life of the party, no one loves me. And so you just, it just starts to grow. And again, you know, what was once the medicine became the poison. I looked, I turn around, you know, in my thirties and I'm like, no one is banking how cool I am or how much they want me around based off how much alcohol or drugs I have. In fact, now it's the opposite, but I can't stop this behavior because I've been doing it for so long. So was it a conscious decision then for you? Because I didn't realise that I drank to fit in until 30 years later. I was like, ah, that's why I did it. And that, and then it became such a big part of my identity. But speaking to you, it was like, it was a conscious decision for you to drink to fit in. Well, I'll, I'll say, you know, yes and, and yes and no. It's like, I remember... At being in my dorm at Painter Hall, I can picture this double shot of vodka in my hand. And I remember, you know, just, just downing them and thinking, I'm, at some point in my life, I'm going to have to stop this behavior if I ever want to be anything, let alone live. Um, but yeah, when I first got there, it's like I joined a fraternity and it was, it was very easy to, I mean, to see based off of old movies. And it's the very first party I ever went to. The people who seem to be having the most fun, and I'm using air quotes here, seem to be the ones who are drinking the most. And so, you know, by week three or four or five, I, it was, I yeah, it's almost like I got in my head, like I need to always be at the party. And if you're going to be at the party, then you always need to be drinking because who doesn't drink at the party? Yeah. And so it was sort of conscious, but at the same time, I'm like you. 
too. It was very unconscious. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize this about myself and about this desire to fit in and in this becoming an addict because until sometime in my 30s when all of a sudden I turned around and I was isolating drinking and I realized, wow, my drinking used to make me cool and now it actually keeps me from going places because I'm so afraid of blacking out. I'm so afraid of my behavior there that I would rather say, no, I can't and then stay at home and just get wasted instead. So you have not only the From Sobriety to Recovery to Recovery podcast, but you also have a podcast aimed at young people for that very reason, right? Yes, yes. College success habits is my attempt, you know, and it's my mission and it's what's happening to sort of backdoor in with these young kids and talk to them about the habits that they're making now, the mindsets they have now, and the those creating an entire life, this entire habit structure that they will have to contend with when they get into their 30s, 40s, and older. It's like, see this desire, this need to be popular, this need to fit in as being the precursor to possible addiction down the road and realize you are good enough now. You are who you be you and the people who want that will come around you and they won't need you to, you know, snort tons of cocaine and take a bunch of acid in order to be seen as cool. They'll just love you for being you. And it's really important, I think, to talk to the younger kids, the emotional intelligence that they need to have at that young of age to not start making those decisions is difficult to attain. We didn't have it. Most people don't have it. And now we expect a 14-year-old with 87 social media apps on their phone, constantly getting barraged by images of who they should be and bullying by people who think they're better than them. I'm surprised we don't have more 11-year-olds drinking. I think we do in the UK. And you know, I actually watched um, a podcast by... He's actually one of our friends now um, through virtual and um, he's Josh Connolly and he works for a charity over here called NACOA, which supports children of alcoholic parents of all ages. And it's actually a Gabor Mate quote, or I'm going to paraphrase it. Cause I can't you were quoting as well. I'm air quoting. It's because Jesse did it, but I'm going to paraphrase it. And it's along the lines of, we shouldn't be asking why the addiction, we should be asking why the hurt. Because mm. all addiction stems from somebody's painful experiences that they're trying to mask. And I, I absolutely wish, I, I don't know if it had worked or not, I can't turn back the clock, but if somebody had just said to me, mm. what's going on? What, what's happening in your life to make you want to numb that out? Mm-hmm. Listen and just ask the question. Maybe, just maybe, I wouldn't have ended up exactly where I was. I might have done, I don't know, but maybe. This this is the thing, isn't it? When we talk about like drugs and alcohol and the addiction side of it and whether we blame, and it's such a like diverse subject, I suppose, whether we blame the person or whether we actually blame the substance. And I think it's really hard because I hear it a lot. Um, like people saying, oh, he's he's depressed because he smokes a lot of weed. She's unhappy because she drinks a lot. And it's like, but why? Why in the beginning? What mm-hmm. is happening before that to get to that point? But I think we just don't think about that. Like it's only since being sober where I think about that. So how can we get talking to people, I suppose, to let them know that... This is this is so important to talk about. We could do a, 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 a 10 day seminar on it, right? Like the one thing all of all of humanity, the one thing that we can all empathize with the other one about is that we all have suffering somewhere in our lives. Our mommy or daddy didn't love us enough at the right time. A sibling picked on us. Somebody bullied us. We dropped our ice cream cone at the fair when we really had wanted it so badly. Like somewhere in our lives, suffering starts to happen. And you're right. All of a sudden you're looking around and you've got years of this, of these little, these little things that just started adding up. Right. And then it's like, you turn around and you want to blame the alcohol. And yes, we want people to be at cause and to accept responsibility for their actions. At the same time, we got to get to the root cause. I don't think anybody ever woke up at six years old and said, you know, I want to be an astronaut, but I also want to be living in an alley addicted to crack, right? Like you're not trying to figure out whether you want to be the president of the United States or the prime minister of England, but also thinking maybe you could have a really great, you know, five, eight ball a day cocaine habit, right? No, no kid thinks that, but enough suffering starts to add up and we start making these decisions at a young age. And I mean, my fraternity, 
tore me down because of my drinking. And at no point did anyone pull me aside and say, you know, we, we want to kick you out because you drink too much. But actually, I think what we should do is sit down and what's going on, dude? Yeah. Tell us what pain you're going through because yeah. no, no rational person should drink two liters of vodka at the age of 18 on an empty stomach. Something is going on. And if I could just help you right now, I, I would be happy to. No one ever did that. But instead, they tried to kick me out. They kicked my friends out. And they made me feel like a bad person for it. So I sought other tribes who thought my behavior was acceptable. Yeah. And that only led to worse and worse drugs. And it's what we always find. So we always seek it. Oh, that's what I was just <laughs> going to say. We always, we always seek acceptance, and then you can compare yourself to somebody worse than you as well. Which is what Lisa was just saying. You can always say, "I'm not that bad." Well, I'm not that bad, and that's how we carry on for so long in those cycles. You know, last time, last time we spoke to you, um, we were talking about your keynote speaking, and I know that one of the things that you said you would really love to do or do more of was to get into colleges and things like that and speak to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a big bummer about the pandemic was that I had my my book, which we ended we ended up publishing um, in June, College Success Habits, and you can find it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. You can just Google College Success Habits by Jesse Mogul and find it. Um, it, it was going to come out, and, and I I was all prepared. I had multiple colleges and universities. I was going to go speak at their bookstores, do a book signing, put on a presentation, and then I was going to go and start speaking to the entire. You know, they were going to have a big event, and the university could come and see me. And because of the pandemic, of course, now there aren't anybody going to campuses. They don't want large groups, so that's been gone away. So now, you know, getting on more podcasts, uh, putting on more conferences, that's the way until life returns to normal. But I really think, you know, getting in front of the kids and I I even wrote down what, what's happening in your life. Like just such a beautiful way of stating that Lisa, it's, it's like, oh my gosh, what just, what a, what a what a great title for a presentation! Like what's happening in your life, dot dot dot, to make you that's that's creating this decision making process that that's that's got you going down this path. Something's happening. Let's just sit down and talk about it, because if you can pull it out of your unconscious or even from your normal conscious, but put it on paper and say, okay this behavior is occurring because my parents got divorced and they ignored me the summer between my senior year in high school and my freshman year in college. And I felt unloved and I felt abandoned. So I started seeking uh, companionship from people who were unsavory. And this is why I now do a ton of cocaine and acid. Maybe I would have stopped. Maybe, maybe I would have just slowed down enough to breathe, to see that I was letting my world crash down around me. Do you think the pain can be just too much sometimes? See, I'm a funny one, right? Because I really love that, and the idea of trying to find out what it is and why and the before. But then a big part of me is like, do we have to go back? Do we have to go back? Can we be about now and moving forward? And do you know what I mean? So I'm always like, that with it, I think it's so important to talk about the hows and the whys. But then there's a big part of me like, do we always need to go over everything? And can that be too painful for people to be, to begin with, when, especially when they're just in the early days of going sober? That's a great point. You know, uh, there's definitely a time and a place, you know, asking somebody to go through the trauma of their dad beating them with the metal side of a belt on day two could be too much. You know, for me, that was definitely something that had to wait for months down the road till I could come to terms with how I was treated as a child and, and start to see, you know, it from my dad's perspective, why he cared so much about me getting good grades because he didn't want me to be a bum or a loser. And so his way of showing his love was working all the time and then coming home and giving me the belt if I didn't get A's. I couldn't have dealt with that on day two. So there is a time and a place. You know, I think it's extremely important that you know, we don't bury it and never talk about it, yeah. right? But it, yeah, you know, you gotta, you gotta like day two, you just want to not use today. Maybe go for a long walk. Maybe call up someone that you love and tell them the challenges that you're going through because you're withdrawing. Uh, it could be staring at the television, watching your favorite show, whatever it is on you know, day two. By day 2000, we'd like to see everyone talking about those kind of things because if you keep them buried, then it becomes that whole skeleton in the closet thing. there's actually evidence as well that holding in past traumas causes physical damage and chronic illness. It absolutely is. That is absolutely a thing. 
if you don't expose that and release it, you, you're going to... Yeah. <laughs> They say that like cancers and I mean, let's just, we'll just stop there. What else do you need to say? They literally say that cancers can be caused by these traumas. And then you're constantly got this anxiety and you've got these you know, probiotics in your belly that are, that are always constantly stressed and tensed and your endorphins and are run, running a wild and you're constantly putting out this, this, uh, this adrenal gland is overworked and sending adrenaline through your body at all times. And it's like, that can help you gain weight and that can cause your mind to, to, to get Foggy. And there's all of this proof that trauma can lead to deadly diseases. All yeah. mental health is so much more important than anyone ever thought. And now it's finally getting its time in the sunshine. Thank God. And it's still not fully understood. I actually had a conversation um, with my GP really recently because I suffer with anxiety. And it took me, it's taken me two years to accept that that's a condition. It is because all my life, I have got on with it. That's the way that I was brought up. Just get on with it. Whatever's going on at home, just get on with it. Get on Mm -hmm. with it. And the GP said, look, there's so long that you're going to get on with it and you're going to crash. So it's time to accept that you are doing chemical damage to your body by just getting on with it. And I just thought, oh, yeah, too much cortisol. That's why I've not been able to shift any weight in the last two years. Cortisol. Oh, that's why my heart races every night as I'm going to sleep. It's and it's it's to do with trauma. I mean, I I have had counselling now, but you do have to find that balance because you know, as Lisa said, I could quite happily be sat in depression and never get out if I continue to go over and over and over the things that have happened. So I do think there has to come a point where you you go over what's happened and then you decide how you're going to move forwards. Yes. Yes, you know, anxiety, um, it's like fear. Fear and anxiety go hand in hand. They're they're future-based things. So when you have anxiety, it's because you're stressing too much about the future. Will will you have the answer for every single question? Will you know how to fix any problem? Where are my solutions? I must know all my solutions right now for every single thing that could ever possibly happen in the entire world, or I'm going to get locked in my bed and I'm just going to hide in the dark, right? Yeah, Yeah, that's it. And I guess, I mean, they get so wound up and it, right? Whereas like guilt and shame, those are past-based emotions. So that's about what you did in the past. And so people, they think they feel anxiety about what happened in the past. That's where the fear, that's where guilt and shame like to reside. Anxiety is future-based. You don't, it's like yeah, oh, you've NLP. Just, you've just diagnosed us. <laughs> yeah, honestly, well, that it's is NLP. both of us. Like I'm looking at Alex when you're talking about the anxiety, and I'm like, that is so. Hurt. And then you start going to the girl and shame, and she's and like, I'm going, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is why we reach such a wide um, range of people between us. And you're absolutely right. It's NLP. That's exactly what it is. It's you know, it's the way you talk to yourself. It's the way you picture life. It's the way you can kind of come through those things that that's exactly what it is and you you do a lot of nlp through your group coaching which brings us nicely into the next question talk about that <laughs> yes so on thursday nights we call it sober sessions and it's six o'clock pacific here in the states nine o'clock eastern which is probably something like three in the morning for you guys there um and so what we do is we we go deeper into the things i talk about on the podcast where we really go into the why anxiety exists what anxiety is and then we really go into how you can start to overcome it on your own at home i mean by all means i can somebody can come to one of my workshops or seminars or one-on-one coaching and I can, I can figure out where that anxiety is and we can start to, to uh, de-stress it a little bit. But the, the thing is, is that you can have anxiety, Alex, on a hundred things. Each one of those things needs to be addressed to take God, anxiety out of time, your... You're on time, Jesse. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you might have anxiety about meeting new people. So it doesn't have to be anxiety about meeting every single one person. It's just, okay, let's work on that anxiety for meeting new people. Let's leave... Let's, I, my sister does not like to leave her house. And she, she calls herself an agoraphobic. And so, okay, let's work on what is... What are you worried about when you leave the house let's work on is it safety is it uncertainty what you know where is that trauma maybe you got heckled has a when you were younger and you felt unsafe with your body and now you don't like to leave the house because you're afraid you'll be attacked we can work on that 
it's big, but it's actually one thing. And so we dive into these things during the sessions because it's like, like uh, Lisa said earlier, it's the languages we're using in our heads. And if we're not aware of it, we, we think that voice in our head is us, but it's not. It's this humongous amalgamation of everyone we've never met, every book we've ever seen. Every We could see somebody else get attacked on the streets. And now we're forever afraid of being attacked on the streets because we're seeing it from their point of view instead of from ours, which was never even a part of what we saw or never a part of what we experienced. We only saw it, but now it's in our heads. And now we use language like, well, if I go on the street by myself, I'm going to get attacked. And now we don't want to leave home. And if we do, we're freaking ourselves out the whole time. Don't we all have just such wonderful imaginations like imagine if we actually all could change this rain because it's all just there in it we just create everything ourselves basically the world's made up Lisa somebody told me that once well they were very wise Alex (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm gonna guess that Lisa said that to you Alex this is all just this is all the matrix this is all computer simulation and you can literally just change it like that if you want and it really people think that when that is said that that means that they can just it, they can just manifest a Ferrari in their driveway instead of a broken down Datsun, right? So they get it in their head like, well, you're wrong. The world isn't just built upon my mind and my creations, or I would all of a sudden live in a McMansion. Well, okay, let's be realistic. You know, you can't change tangible things like a plant, but you are creating your world inside your head. And if you are afraid of running across a snake every time you leave your house, that snake may never appear, but in your mind, it's already appeared a million times. So no wonder you're afraid to leave your house. You literally create your world and then you, then you leave and you're, you're living. It's a negative hallucination is what it is. You start to see things that aren't really there. But it works the other way as well, doesn't it? Which we did talk about last time. And I'm so glad we're doing it again. I don't know how this conversation is going so naturally, but we talked a little bit about the secret and visualizing and manifestation. Um, you're a big believer in that, right? I am. And, you know, I love the secret. I came across that way back in my using days in like 2001 or two, right when it came out, the part that, uh, I, I sort of stopped. I was like, okay, I'll just manifest everything. And I'll sit on my couch and I'll manifest a million dollars. Uh, you know, now of course, using some logical thinking here. Um, yes, the secret is totally true. You can manifest your reality. You can bring it into existence. The part that they like to leave out is the part where you have to actually be prioritizing the work, right? You have to act. It's, 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 yeah. you know, it's, it's, if you're not acting, then it's like, that's a powerful principle number four in my book, take action. If you're not acting, then nothing's happening. You are literally just standing around expecting the world to bring you amazingness. And that's just not how it works. It's so funny. Lisa told me to read The Secret. I read it, wished that I'd win the lottery for about a month. <laughs> I did it was a load of shit because I had <laughs> But that was a good few years ago. And I've since got sober and realised, ah, no, you have to take steps towards you. have to buy a ticket for one. <laughs> That's the thing. I'm always like, what would I do if I won a million, hundred million dollars? And I'm like, well, step one should be go buy one ticket for a dollar. I've never bought a lottery <laughs> ticket yet. I'm I'm always thinking about what I'll do when I win the lottery. <laughs> I was exactly the same. And I'm laughing when you said the secret, because when I first got that, my mum got me that. And she actually has man- manifested her whole business. And it's a life, a life, everything. And it started with the secret and knowing that she was going to create um, one course and she would find a laptop for 50 euros. She lived in Spain at the time and she was adamant and she got nothing at that point. And lo and behold, she walked into a bar, weirdly. She's sober now too, but she wasn't at the time, but she walked into a bar. There was a guy there. He said, oh, I've got an old laptop. You can have it if you want. She said, how much? He said, 50 euros. She said, right, I'm having it. And from that laptop, she has created two worldwide companies that do amazing. So she's so passionate, but she got me the book, The Secret, and she's like, you've got to read this. It's amazing. It'll change your life. So I printed off the check, went online, printed off the check, stuck it on my board and did exactly the same, just expected to win, but never bought a ticket, never did any of them things. And it is, it's like, I love it now. I've got my my visualization board. I've got what I want on there and I see it. I feel it. I I love it, but I also 
take steps to get to that point. So yeah, it's really important. We've done it with our podcast with this, you know, yeah. when we started out, we, we said, yeah, we're going to have these things. We're going to do these things. We're going to help these people and we're doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but yeah. we sat there and wished it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, there, there's a, there's, there's a consistency too, and a discipline, right? I got a lot of friends cause I live in LA. Everybody wants to start up a podcast and they think, well, I'm going to start up a podcast. Uh, three months later, I'm going to have 10,000 downloads per episode. A year later, I'm going to get in $5,000 per sponsor. I'm going to be making a hundred thousand dollars a year at the end of a year. And then they get three months in and they're getting 27 downloads per episode and they quit. You know, when I first started this, I did very little social media for it. Mm-hmm. I just literally posted a little bit on my Facebook. I started up a, fa- a Facebook page and just really just said, you know what, I'm just going to get on here and talk about the things that have helped me and the people will find me if they desire me. And Spotify brings me like 80%. I, I clicked one button on Podbean and that put me on Spotify. And I didn't even think, I thought of it as a, I was all about Apple, Apple, Apple. And now all my listeners for the most part are coming from that one app. You know, like I said, I'd probably say eight out of 10 are coming from Spotify. And, and now I get messages saying, oh my gosh, I can't believe what you've got me thinking a whole new yeah. way. And I'm just, and, and I'm, every time I read one of those, it's like my heart skips a beat. That's one more life that I've helped influence into a better oh, direction. You just us. You just us. Honestly, we, whenever we get a message on Instagram or on an email, anything just saying, oh, I can really relate. We've had one tonight, somebody saying, um, oh my God, your last episode, I've had blackouts. It's just so nice to hear someone else has been there. And you just think, yeah, if that if that's all it helps forever, one person, you've yeah. done it. And that's what we set out to do. We yeah. said that and I remember us getting out um, an email and we was like, that, and it was a real, real special one. The first one that ever actually made me cry. So we've had quite a few, haven't we? But we've got a particular one that made yeah. me cry. And I was like, that's my one person. So every everybody else is like, it's just amazing that it can help so many people. It really is. I love it. I love being mm-hmm. a part of people's journeys. And we get thanked so much, as you will, Jesse. And they're like, thank you for helping. You know, I wouldn't be sober without you. And I'm like, no, we're just honoured. You've let us share your journey. You've done this. It's, you know, it takes so much courage and it's a lot isn't it it's not easy getting sober and we say this but gosh it's worth it it is so worth it it is i when people write me i'm like you know my 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 response and it's whole and it's so from the heart it's like i'm blessed that i resonate with you i i get that i'm not everybody's cup of tea tea isn't everybody's cup of tea right like i I talk fast i'm super motivational i can i can no this is bull you are not doing that anymore like i can get a little i can get super pumped a super hyper and and then they'll say you know i'm so if if they say i'm sober because of you i mean i'm like oh no 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 like i'm grateful and I'm and I'm blessed to be part of your your journey. I'm, I'm I'm guiding you. I'm planting some seeds, but you're the farmer out there working that soil every day. And if that carrot and that cabbage and that broccoli grows, you are the one who did the effort. I gave you the seed, but you're the one who nurtured it. I because I, I can only be with you for the amount of time you're listening to the podcast. The rest of the time, you are in charge of your life, and it is it is you. Keep that power. Don't say, oh, somebody else got me sober. You got yourself sober. Yeah. yeah. It may have been standing behind you, cheering you on, yeah. but just like, just like a sporting event, you can cheer on that football team all you want, but you are not out there, you know, doing that one timer where they're bicycle kicking a goal in. They kicked that ball in. You may have supported them by cheering, but you in no way, shape or form helped them kick that ball through the net. That was all them. And that's how I want people to see their sobriety and recovery. They're the ones doing it i'm just screaming my head off in the background and, and, and you talk about that jesse <laughs> what's that you do she said everyone needs a jesse <laughs> yeah. everybody needs an alex and lisa i mean i'm telling you what you talk about this in a, in a slightly different way quite a lot if you look through your website about growth mindset and getting people to believe that they can do things and to take steps to do things and what what kind of what advice would you give to somebody who really says I can't I can't get sober I can't do this 
You know, uh, I, I adopted so many amazing uh, thoughts about growth mindset from Carol Dweck's book, Mindset. And I would highly recommend anyone who really wants to have in-depth from a researcher from Stanford, go get Carol Dweck's book called Mindset because you'll, you'll hear what I say mirrored throughout my teachings. You know, anytime you say that you can't, that's a fixed mindset. You can't. And how do you know you can? Because others have. Right, we're not reinventing the wheel here. You know, I, in today's podcast, I talked about Roger Bannister, the first man to ever run a four-minute mile. People thought humans couldn't run four minutes. They thought the a four-minute mile. They thought the heart would explode, the knees would break, the legs would shatter, and he went off and did it. And it was all of a sudden, thirty more people did it over the next year. You know, getting sober or getting off alcohol, drugs, whatever your vice of choice might be, you know, it's been done. So therefore, because one person's done it, it is proof that you can do it. Now, your mindset around how you're going to do it, the steps that it's going to take, that's where that one day at a time should come in. Just how am I doing it today? Let's not think about 37 months from now. Let's think about today. But when you say, I can't, I can't, I can't, that's a limiting belief and a limiting decision. And if you've ever thought in your head, I've got to stop doing this. I'm, it's going to kill me. I've got to stop doing this. I'm making an ass of myself. I've got to stop doing this. I'm destroying my life. You've already planted the seed in your own head. You've already made the decision that you need to quit. Stop arguing with yourself and fighting for your old life. You already know you don't want that life. Why are you fighting to keep it? Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. It really is true. I love it. I'm be so happy every time I... <laughs> Oh, I, I needed you today. I really did, actually. I think this is why this is why it happened, right? We talked about the universe last time, and I'm going to do it again. The universe made me delete that podcast and have another Jesse dose. Right, Alex. I love that we're getting on board with the universe and you're starting to believe, but we cannot use it as excuses for doing <laughs> dumb shit. <laughs> <laughs> Well, just this once, please. <laughs> just, just this once. Uh, this uh, the universe will give you a buy. This once, it's like okay. This, this, this no, uh, you know, I, I would, I, I would be uh, uh, with y'all. Uh, I would do this every week. There, Aww. there is an energy that comes from having these conversations with y'all. Uh, one of the things I, I so admire about you two doing this show and your journeys together, and in your, you know, your what's the be sober. The, the stuff that you guys do is that you have someone you're doing it with. So to be able to read those emails and those comments from people who've been touched by your guidance and be able to share that together, I just that's such a that's so amazing to me because when I get those, I'm sitting there in my room usually at night, you know, just killing some time before I fall asleep. Let's go through. Let's make sure I respond to everybody as timely as I possibly can, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then I read it and and I look around and it's it's just me. And I and I do I do I do so appreciate it but i think that you have the alex and lisa team going the the energy you two must fuel within each other i can so see why you just you're such a great combo you just oh, well next time you sat there on your own thinking like that drop us a message and we'll try to share yeah, definitely the difference might mean there's a little delay but we'll do our best to share your joy uh, thank you. I, I appreciate that. I just to be able to reaching out to y'all and, 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 and starting the conversation to, to just get to know one another and to have this be on each other's shows was one of just the best decisions I have made in, in a long time with this podcast. So just, I'm really just so honored. We're so grateful that you did um, because we feel exactly the same. And, you know, like we said, it was a buzz last time and it's been an absolute buzz time. Um, I think I'll delete it again at the end so we can... I promise I will. Before we do go though, Jesse, can you tell everybody where they can find you, where they can follow you and what's coming up so that we can have a few people coming over to visit what you do? Before Absolutely. you do, just quickly, yeah. does it? Did yeah. I see um, on your story before that you was on the television today? Yes, yes, I had my worldwide debut in at a uh, television station in San Antonio, Texas. I, for my other podcast, College Success Habits, I did five Amazing. tips to help uh, uh, parents and and students get their mindset ready for the fall semester. So I did air that. That was today, this morning. Congratulations! That's great. Congratulations! Congratulations. Right, go on. <laughs> thank you, thank you, and you know. 
that, but that's a great segue. Social media wise, um, at From Sobriety to Recovery on Instagram, at Jesse Mogul on Instagram. That From Sobriety Recovery page, I am on it every single day. Tons. That's where I get my do my stories and everything. If you want to be able to reach out to me and just say hello or thank you or I need help, whatever it might be, at From Sobriety to Recovery on Instagram. I've also got a Facebook page and a Facebook group at From Sobriety to Recovery on Facebook and then jessemogul.com. And uh, you'll know how to spell my name whenever the, the when Alex and Lisa post that all up on, in the show notes, jessemogul.com. And there's links to both podcasts there on my website. And so by all means, reach out, say hello, listen and be, you know, whatever it is, just be sober, be awesome. Realize that a great life is already awaiting you. You just need to open your mind and your eyes toward it. Thank That's you, amazing. Jesse. That's amazing. Love I love y'all. Y'all are awesome. I can't wait. Don't delete this one. We'll just do part two later. That's, That's all right. Do. Okay. I'll, I'll, deal. Deal. I'll keep okay. it. <laughs> we'll see you soon, hopefully then. Yeah, absolutely. Much love. Thank you. Bye.